There are hundreds of teachers working in our district, and when it comes to discussing all of the great work that is being done, we are barely scratching the surface. Hello and welcome to One Troy at Home, the podcast all about teachers as we continue to operate in a virtual school setting. Still, lots to talk about. I'm your host, Thomas Butcher, and our guest today is the media specialist at both Boland Park and Smith Middle Schools, Christina Chattel. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for thinking of me. Of course. I want to start by having you give us an overview, Christina, of everything you do in the media centers. Many people may not be aware of the full scope of work that is done, and I imagine there's more to it than just reading or organizing books. I only have 20 minutes to talk right now. (laughs) There's a lot. Um, There's definitely the book side. I mean, everybody associates media specialists with librarian, and I do feel like that is a big part of my job, especially since I'm managing two libraries. So it's double the work, trying to purchase books for both libraries and um, connect to the curriculum, um, and then also circulate the books and check them in, and then help kids find books. So that's called reader's advisory. When the kids come in and they say, Mrs. Chattel, I'm looking for a dog book. And so you have a whole conversation with them. Well, what have you read before? What did you like before? And then you kind of lead them, lead them around the media center. Uh, meanwhile, there are, you know, 30 to 50 kids running around trying to find books, asking you for, for uh, a romance book or a scary book, etc. So crowd control is part of, part of the job as well. And at both of my schools, we usually, um, in normal circumstances, give the first 15 minutes of class for book checkouts. So English teachers send their kids down, and I I help them with that, send them back to their classrooms. And then that's when Media Center lessons would start. So um, we have created a curriculum for sixth grade students. So the sixth graders do come in regularly um, to learn about the media center, how it's set up, to learn about how to evaluate websites, uh, digital citizenship, and then we take them through the research process in sixth grade. And then in seventh and eighth grade, we add on to their skills. Uh, The media specialists in our district have purchased Noodle Tools, which is a um, citation um, website program basically. You might be familiar with EasyBib or you might have used something in in college along those lines. So we found this and bought it for the entire school district. So now kids K through 12 can cite their sources in research. Um, The secondary media specialists investigated how um, we could get into ebooks and audiobooks. And this was I think maybe four years ago. So we were ahead of the curve. Uh, we were prepared when COVID hit. We already had a collection of ebooks and audiobooks that we have been curating and, and slowly adding to. Um, I mean, on top of all that, library fines and then advertising our reading program, which at the middle school level is Troy Berry. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting, <laughs> forgetting some of the job, but um, I think teaching is a big part. I think my, um, my middle school teachers really rely on me um, to help the kids with citing their sources, with finding sources, uh, but they also really rely on me for book recommendations for helping themselves, the teachers, to find books, but then helping the kids to find books. Now, with all of that being said, how has the middle school media center changed since virtual learning became our mode of operation? Like, can virtual students still check out books? How's this work? 
Certainly. So we have started curbside pickup and we actually, um, we did one during the summer um, and then we started in the fall. So once a week, um, students can pick up books, but they have to place holds through our library system. Thank goodness we have a library catalog that um, kids can log into. It's an app, um, just like the Troy Public Library. You can log into their catalog, you can log into our catalog, and you can place holds. So we have a deadline. The kids have to place holds by a certain date, and then we have a pickup day where they can come and um, grab their books and then also return books. And I have to say, I have been incredibly busy with um, keeping up with the requests. We have some super readers at the middle school level. I checked my statistics, and, you know, normally in October, I check out, you know, probably over 3,000 books the whole month. Now, this past October, I checked out about 1,400. So that's not bad. Still, 1,400 books checked out in the month of October. That was from Boland, I should say. What does that um, average out per student? Uh, this is, you're asking, I'm not a math teacher. <laughs> is, that, is that at least like a couple of, a couple books per student? Probably. Um, usually when kids are placing holds, they usually place three to four books on hold. Some wow. kids place a hold on one book, but it's kind of nice to be able to come, come to the li or come to school, get a bag of books or a collection of books, and then, you know, come back in three weeks and get some more. Um, but it is, Bolin is a bigger school. Smith, still, it was the same. It's about a third, um, the circulation is down to about a third of what it normally is, but that was still 800 some books were checked out at Smith last month. So the kids are still reading and they still, still want the, the physical books. Now, um, in comparison, uh, we have the Sora app, which is where, um, kids can access our ebook and audiobook collection. Um, and they also can hook it up to the Troy Public Library collection, which will give them 10,000 ebooks and audiobooks to check out versus we have we have a couple thousand books. We're, we're still working on our collection. But um, I looked at the checkouts um, this year um, versus last year. So past 30 days. So last year we had we had about 522 checkouts. Um, same time, time period, last 30 days. Um, now that is across secondary level. So that's all the middle schools and all the high schools. This year, past 30 days, we have had 1,738 checkouts. So kids are using the ebooks now, which is awesome, and they're checking out the paper books. So that's what's been a big bulk of my job this year is coordinating the book pickup um, and then also coordinating our, our digital resources, purchasing more resources. And then I've been, I've been trying to figure out how to do Zoom as a media specialist. Normally, I would bring three classes into the media center at, the at a time and I'd present to them. We can't do that right now. So um, we're, we're working on it. I've tried Zoom bringing in three classes in at a time. I hosted and bring, bring the three groups in at a time. So we're, we're still trying to work through all of the, those kinks of how, how do we teach to a, a big group of kids at a time um, and fit it all in. And I'm balanced between the two schools. So I have to do this at both schools. So that's, that's certainly um, been a challenge. But it has been fun popping in to teacher Zooms and just in a little visit and chatting and book, book talking. I miss the kids. 
I mean, usually every day it would be 30 to 50 kids every hour here in the media center. It is quiet. It is empty. And it's just, it's, I, I'm a little sad that I don't have that interaction with kids. They're emailing me. They're visiting me on student support hour, but it's not the same. So it's been really nice to go in and just see them in person and, and talk to them in, in the teacher Zooms. I got to say, it's kind of funny that the media specialist, specialist thinks it's weird that the media center is quiet. I mean, usually <laughs> that's what you want, right? And now it's like, no, oh, I wish it was a little noise. No, not the, the new school of media specialists is yeah. that we want this place to be busy. Um, we want kids to be creating in here uh, and working together in normal non-COVID situations. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, these, these should be learning commons. This should be a working space where kids are creating and doing things and making things. Um, I, I don't want the place to be quiet. People don't come in here to study. So, I mean, I don't want them to be running around screaming, but, but definitely talking to each other about books and, and when I'm doing lessons, you know, working in groups, et cetera. I think it's, it's a, a new way of thinking about the library. And maybe that's why we've moved away from the librarian name, um, because it comes with that connotation of the, the, the woman with the bun and the glasses like, who's shushing everybody. And, and, and that's not, I don't think, who we are anymore. Right. That's the stereotype you still see a lot these days, but I don't, yeah. it's probably not as common as it maybe once was. So yeah. has the internet made today's students better at research or is it possible that research has become too easy? Is there such a thing as research mm -hmm. that's too easy? I think the temptation to, um, to plagiarize is much stronger because it's very easy to copy paste. Um, and we do do a lesson about plagiarism um, with the sixth graders. Um, and then Wikipedia. Oh, my goodness. How many times have I talked about Wikipedia? We should not be using Wikipedia as a source. Um, so, yes, um, I think the Internet throws that, that problem into the mix, the problem of plagiarism. Um, but I think it also has offered to us great things like EasyBib or Noodle Tools, which we use, um, and that now there's connectivity between um, Noodle Tools, which is our citation service, and the, and the uh, library databases. So a kid finds an article on a library database, the database connects to their Noodle Tools and sends the citation. Now, I know you are a lot younger than me, so I don't know if you remember sitting with your MLA um, manual and hand typing a works cited. Did you ever have to do that? Mm, I don't think I quite had to do that. I think okay. I was, uh, I, I'm 25. I was in middle school in 2006 to 2008. So I think okay. we were just starting at least like with the automated stuff. Yeah. Yes, yes. So those of you, those listeners who are a little older, might remember even typing on a typewriter and you're typing the last name, comma, first name, and then underlining the, the title of the book, etc. The kids have things that do this for them now. So it's almost like they can spend more time doing the research and doing deeper research and less time worrying about that work cited because we have these programs that do it for them. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, we should stop teaching them what each element of that citation means, but I think that makes research 
easier. I think that's um, a way that the internet has, has definitely helped um, research to become more, more streamlined. When we're talking about plagiarism, I mean, you're kind of bringing back memories for me is that in middle school, it's not that I was seeking out to plagiarize. The big deal was that I didn't want to accidentally plagiarize. And is that the big lesson you're really trying to get across at the middle school level? Definitely. We, we go over the school um, code or the school district, I should say, code of conduct with them. Um, I go over the different types of plagiarism. And I have some really good stories about plagiarism. I taught at Troy High for 10 years and I was an English teacher. So um, I, had some, I have some really good stories to relate to them that I think helps them to um, understand what it is. I think there are some really conscientious students who are worried um, you know, if they're plagiarizing or not. And then there are some kids who just don't even realize. They don't even know. And so the, you could see the light bulb uh, turning on when, um, when we do that, that plagiarism lesson with them. And then, of course, at the high school level, um, they, I believe they still have turnitin.com, um, which checks, uh, checks for plagiarism now, um, for, um, checks their work. Do you have a preference between ebooks? and real books? I do prefer a real book. However, um, I do enjoy audiobooks um, just for when I'm, you know, washing dishes or in the garden or going for a run. Um, I think audiobooks are a great way to get into a book. And sometimes I start an audiobook and I'm like, I cannot wait another 10 hours to find out what's going on in this book, going on in this book. And so I go and get the paper book. <laughs> um, so I think audiobooks are a good gateway into um, getting into um, a physical book. And then as for ebooks, um, I have learned to change my settings so that I like reading ebooks a little bit better. And on the Sora app, you can actually um, change the font size, you can change the darkness. Um, so the contrast is a little bit better and you can read at night. Um, so it's not stimulating your brain before you go to bed. Um, so again, sometimes with ebooks, I get started reading it and then the ebook has to return um, and I'll go get the paper book. <laughs> so, um, and sometimes I'll finish reading the ebook, um, you know, because I'm really drawn into it. So it's something I'm, I'm not entirely comfortable with, but I think this generation of kids is becoming more comfortable with ebooks, especially with um, the app, like um, what is it called? Wattpad. Have you heard about that? Um, there's an app where the kids, will, um, they'll actually, they're, they're able to read stories that are self-published by people and they can read it on an app or they're reading it on their phone. So I think they're becoming more used to the eBooks. I do think a lot of them still prefer having the actual paper book, as you can see by our numbers, you know, um, and, and maybe it's almost like a third of the kids still really like the, the paper books. A third of them are okay with ebooks. And then maybe everybody else is getting books from home or their parents are buying them books or they're getting books from the Troy Public Library. So it's really interesting to see how everybody is, is managing their book access in, uh, in these times. And it's funny how audiobooks have evolved over time in particular, how they used to be book on tape and then for for a while their book on cd i remember mm -hmm. i listened to the harry potter books on cd and it's just funny how 
accessible it is now where you can get audiobooks on the internet for virtually any book. So that's yeah. crazy to me. And, and I do have some CDs, audio CDs in my library. And usually kids come and ask me if that is the movie. <laughs> I also have had kids come and ask me what, what it is. Like they don't know. They're like, what is this thing? This they don't disc. know what a CD they is. They don't know what a C- But if you think about it, all of our computers are coming now without like CD. That is true. DVD true. drives. So they didn't even know what it was. Do you have any kids walking in with flash drives still or no? Is that like way gone? No, because they all, uh, well, the middle school level, they all have um, their iPads. And then they they just save their stuff to OneDrive. And then if they need to print in the media center, oh, that's another part of my job, helping them print. <laughs> uh, we have we have laptops in the media center um, and they just go into their OneDrive on the, on the laptop and and print that way. So they don't even need the flash drives anymore. I remember when I was in sixth or seventh grade, I brought in a floppy disk and they still had the adapter for the floppy disk. <laughs> Crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Kids Google a floppy disk. They'll blow your mind. <laughs> well, they'll know, they know from the save icon, right? That's true. Isn't that funny? That's true. It's, that's <laughs> something that's always remained the same. I can, I can see it right now on word right here that the save yeah. icon is a floppy disk. Mm-hmm the more you know do you think I, I wanted to ask this too since we're talking about ebooks and the way technology is advancing do you think real books will ever become extinct will ebooks and audiobooks eventually drive them away um i think it, it will take a long time um i still feel like the 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 kid like i said the kid earlier the kids um, of this generation are more comfortable reading ebooks i believe but they still, some kids are still telling me they just want a physical book. I had kids visit me during, um, you know, during the time that we were quarantined last year. And I was trying to tell them about all the ebooks and everything that are, that are available. And they're like, we just miss real books. I just want a real book. And at that time, we couldn't go into school and, and get them books. So I think it will maybe take a few more generations um, for the book to um, the paper book to disappear. I think a lot of us are still very, very comfortable with cuddling up with a book. It's hard to cuddle up with your iPad or your Kindle, you know, <laughs> your, your mobile device um, than it is to, to cuddle up with an actual book. Now, a big annual event that takes place across our four middle schools is the very popular Troy Berry program. For those who don't know, what is Troy Berry? We are now in our 21st year of Troy Berry. It started in uh, the year 2000, and the media specialists at that time decided they wanted to do a reading program for the middle schoolers. And the name comes from the Newberry Award, which is given by the American Library Association every year since like the 1920s to the best books published um, in children's literature. And it's chosen by adults. So the librarians at that time thought, hey, let's have the kids pick. So what they did is they would come up with a list each year of books published within that year. So the first award was given in, t- in 2001, and that was for years pu- books published in, uh, in 2020, or sorry, not 2020, in uh, 2000. Um, 
So they picked 10 books. And what they tried to do was pick a book from each, each genre. So over the years, we've tried to have books that are um, realistic, sports, um, horror, historical, um, adventure, fantasy. Um, some years we throw in a nonfiction or a biography to try to mix things up. So um, it was, I think, about three or four years ago um, when um, Kathy Locke, who's the other media specialist um, at Baker and Larson, and I got together and we decided we wanted to kind of change things up a little bit with Troy Berry. And we felt that um, we wanted to have a range of books for every student, whether they're... Um, you know, a lower level reader or just learning English. Um, and we wanted a range of books that also would hit um, the eighth graders because a lot, of t a lot of times sixth graders are super fired up about Troy Berry. Seventh graders, they're, you know, they, they, some are excited, some are like, eh. and then by eighth grade, they're like, we're sick of Troy Berry. We're over it. We're too old for it. Everything is sixth grade level, etc. So we wanted to still have some books that appealed to eighth graders. So we came up with this Troy Berry Madness system, um, and we actually started doing um, we started started doing a list of like thirty some titles, and then we had the kids vote it down to the top ten instead of us librarians choosing the top ten. So we did that for a few years, and we really enjoyed doing that. Um, last year was our twentieth annual um, Troy Berry Award program, and we celebrated by. Um, challenging the kids to read all 190 of the former Troy Berry books. <laughs> and the Troy Berry section is behind, behind me. I'm sitting, sitting in front of it right now. Um, so we had a, a, so much fun last year celebrating our, um, our past, reading some of the, the classic Troy Berries. And then quarantine hit, and we had, we had this whole thing planned with an author visit and everything. So we ended up, you know, just recording our Troy Berry ceremony. We had some teachers who helped us out, who revealed the winners and everything. We um, included students' um, performances and work in our, in, our, in our video. And then we were like, what are we going to do for our 21st annual um, Troy Berry Award? Here's the thing. Um, normally I would read probably 80 middle grade books, um, to try to figure out what we were going to do, um, you know, by the fall. Well, libraries were cold, closed last spring and I couldn't get access to new books. So the other librarian was also in the same in in the same situation so we couldn't do our normal read new books to prepare for Troyberry because we couldn't get to the new books uh, due to quarantine so we said how can we do Troyberry next year using what we have and we thought why not look back at our roots so our theme for Troyberry this year is Newberry we know that we have copies of Newberry's, Newberry books in the library. Um, so we thought we're good there. And then we have purchased a bunch of copies of um, Newberry books to have on Sora. So we have audiobook and ebook copies on Sora for the kids to check out. And we are doing all virtual this year. So um, we have a form, a reading form that the kids can fill out virtually and keep track of their reading. And then they can check out the books on Sora. They, of course, can request them from the Media Center if they want. 
um, but we were just trying to, to figure out a way to make this accessible to all, especially since a lot of the Newberry books are probably on people's shelves at home. We wanted to give kids like a sense of comfort. You know, these are books that they've cherished, that they've loved over the years um, as elementary students, um, you know, maybe in middle school, they've already read them. So we wanted to give them a chance to go back and reread some of their favorites or find some new favorites. So what we're going to have them do this year is um, we're going to have them vote what was better, the Newberry Award winner or the Troyberry Award winner. So we have a comparison through each year. And so we have what book won Troyberry in 2001, what book won Newberry in 2001, et cetera, all the way up until the past. And so they're going to be able to vote on did the kids in Troy get it right? Did they choose the best book of the year or did the librarians and the uh, teachers and the adults choose the best book for the, the Newberry Award? So that'll be fun. We're going to do that in the spring. We're still working on the details for our Troy Berry ceremony and everything. But like everything right now, um, it's just we're, we're taking it day by day, right? <laughs> This is starting to sound like March Madness for books. This is incredible. Yes. Yeah. That's why we kind of called it Troy Berry Madness. Hey, it, last year, did anyone read all 190 books? You know, we, we um, since we ended up at home, we never were able to find out. The kids weren't able to turn in their oh. cards. Nobody really contacted, because we, we printed physical cards for them that had all 190 books. So I'm sure there were kids out there who read a lot of them, but unfortunately, we were never able to get closure on that. So if anybody's listening and has their Troy Berry form from last year, go see how many you read and e email me that number. I'd be interested uh, to see who read the most of, uh, of that list. I haven't read all 190 of them, I have to admit. <laughs> you can also tag the Troy School District on social media to let us know. Yeah. Yes, hey, that would be fun. Um, I, why do we connect our students with the authors, why do we, tr I know it was difficult and it's, you know, things are different these days, but why do we try to connect our students with the authors behind these books? It is amazing to see how it ignites a spark in students in different ways. Some are just like geeking out and, and just, you know, being huge fans um, when they uh, when they get to meet the author because we've had authors at the Troy Berry ceremony or um, when they get to see them on the screen and ask them questions so they get just they get excited about that aspect but um, I've also brought in authors to talk to groups of students and it's just interesting to see how some students who normally aren't interested in reading or who aren't engaged um, connect somehow with that author and want to stay afterwards and talk to that author and tell them about the same experience they had or um, they're really interested in the book and, and I have to go run out and buy extra copies of the book so that the kids get, can check them out. So I think it's, it's a great way to, um, you know, to catch those, those readers who are already readers and then um, maybe students who are, um, who, normally aren't the ones to get excited about an author visit. Maybe they'll walk away um, with it with a new connection or some new knowledge and maybe interest in, in uh, reading a new book. Now, as a former Baker Bobcat myself, I remember Troy Berry well. 
And I have to admit, I always found it difficult to find a lot of joy in reading books that were part of the curriculum. I know they're classics, but Of Mice and Men, Lord of the Flies, to name a couple from high school, and then The Outsiders, which was read in eighth grade. This isn't going to be a popular statement, but the simple fact that I had to read those books for class, for me, made some of the magic of those books harder to find. However, Troy Berry was different. You had options. You don't need to read this one if you don't think you'll like it. You can find the book for you. And they are somewhat new releases. Looking back, I think that was a positive impact for me because it helped me find more of the magic you can get out of reading. Do you think that it's had the same effect for other middle school students over the years? I definitely would agree. And I think for a lot of sixth graders, it's a, um, it's a gateway into reading. So they come into sixth grade hearing about Troy Berry um, from their elementary librarians. And so they're excited about it. Um, and when we, when we had that list of 10 books, um, for some kids, it was such an accomplishment to read 10 books from January until April. Um, and, it, and it just gave them a sense of pride that they had read all 10 of them or even, you know, those who, who read three because it was a read th minimum of three to be able to vote. Um, so I think that instilled confidence in students. I also think that there is an, an importance in, in having shared reading. You know, th these are books that are read um, by a lot of people at the school. So read by teachers and students and it, and it provides conversations. Um, so there's this joy in, in everyone reading the same things and being able to talk about it and then convince, you know, peer pressure, convince your friend to read it because it's really, really good. Um, and it's, it's amazing to me how some of these books have just become ingrained into the culture of the building after, um, after a few years, um, it, you know, just to give an example, um, the, the book, The War That Saved My Life, um, that one won, um, was the Troy Berry winner um, a few years ago. I really should know the year off the top of my head, and I, of course, I can't think of it right now. But, I mean, classes read that book. Um, this was a book that um, I found at some random bookstore when I was on a trip to Chicago. Um, and of course, as a librarian, I wanted to go on a tour of Chicago bookstores. And so we found this one, you know, random out of the way bookstore and it was recommended by the booksellers. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. You know, bought it, read it, thought it was wonderful and added it to Troy Berry. And now it's just like, it's, it's sort of a, a classic, you know, at, in our buildings and in our district because it's, I mean, it is such a, a beautiful book. So it's just kind of cool to see um, the power of Troy Berry and how it, it connects students, how students are still reading these books. These are the most popular ones. If you look at the top 10 books checked out at Bolin and Smith, they're all Troy Berry books. Um, and the students come to this section and this is where they go to look for books first. So it really is an important program, and I hope we can get back to um, our, our new book theme that we normally do, and that um, 2021 will have some good books published so that we can 
um, have a great Troy Berry program for our 22nd year. Now, you mentioned that you used to work in high school, so you have some experience mm -hmm. across the broad range of secondary. What advice can you offer to a student who has trouble finding the joy in reading? Oh, it's, it's so hard to answer that. I feel like parents ask me all the time, like, how do I get my child to read? Um, and I'm learning the joy of this myself. I have a, a five-year-old. Um, who tells me that reading is boring. <laughs> Are you, uh, uh, wow. I know, I know. So um, I do with him what I do with students who um, struggle with reading, and that is I keep trying, and I keep trying, and I keep trying. And I find out what they're interested in, and I keep trying, and I buy books, and I research what would be interesting. So for my son, um, I went and got a stack of books about Legos. Well, reading is fun when it's about Legos. Right now he's into Minecraft, so he gets all the, the Minecraft books. And so it's the same with students who are struggling. You know, let's, let's try to find an entryway. There's, there is, there's some books someday, and if that student is not going to find one um, someday with me, I'm sure he or she will find one with Mrs. Isaac or Mrs. Vote at the um, at the high school level. Um, we'll we'll get them someday somehow. It's just we just got to keep keep trying. There's that right book out there for them, and that's why we bring in the authors, and that's why we do the Troy Berry program, and that's why we advertise what's going on in our in our libraries. We try to hit them. Um, you know, every way possible over Schoology, social media, um, with what, what we have in the library. The last question I have as we start to sign off here, what are you going to take away from this whole experience as we look towards the future? <sighs> that is a big question. <laughs> um, I think that I am going to take away a renewed confidence in the importance of a paper book. <laughs> and I'm also going to take away um, how important it is to have those connections, um, to be able to talk to kids and, and point them to the right books. I think um, I'm missing, missing um, helping them with that. And I think they're they're missing out having having me to, to ask questions too, and and so I have had several kids visit me on Student Support Hour looking for for book recommendations. So um, I think those are some things that are that are going to be important as we move into our our next phase. Well, thank you very much, Mrs. Oh my gosh, I can't talk. You, <laughs> Mrs. Chatel. Chatel, there we Chattel. go. Yeah. We is it French? <laughs> Yes, it is. It is, okay. <laughs> we, we really appreciate you stopping by on the podcast, and we are wishing you well. Thank you so much for having me. Listeners, don't forget you can subscribe to TSD World Class Podcasts on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform where you'll find all kinds of content and resources. You can also connect on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that's our show. Stay well, everyone. 